Well, when you have the data and you have the feedback loop, you should be able to tell which behaviours and which actions are going to have the most impact. And one of the things that people ask me all the time, I would say it accounts for maybe 50% of all questions anyone ever asked me, which is why should we do individual action when we should be looking at like sort of systems change? And there's no easy, immediate kind of like put it in a box answer to that question, apart from the obvious thing was that we need both in different circumstances. But imagine if you've got a feedback loop for your entire city or your entire community, and you've also got it down by suburb and by block and by house, you will be able to see these interactions between your individual actions and between the system as a whole. And you'll be able to see where individual actions really do matter. And some situations, they really do. Hi, Smart Community friends. In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a brilliant chat with Katie Patrick. Katie is an environmental engineer, software designer, author, and repeat guest of the Smart Community Podcast, who was last on the show in June of 2021 in episode 234. Katie tells us about her background and why she is passionate about sustainability, as well as how feedback loops are central to her idea of smart communities. Katie and I discuss the need for individual actions as well as systematic change, and what she's been up to since she was last on the podcast, including some of the gamification projects to get individuals to take more sustainability actions. Katie explains the power of human conversation and group identity for driving behavioural change and the deep need we have for community connectedness. We finish our chat discussing the potential of using goal-directed psychology in the sustainability movement and why it should be the next emerging trend. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Katie. How are you today? I'm not bad. Thank you, Zoe. I'm excited to have you back on the podcast. Um, I remember our last conversation, which was quite a while ago in June 2021. Um, well, that's when it was released, so we would have had the conversation before that, doing exciting things and, yeah, keen to follow up what you've been doing, where you've been at. But let's first start with, for you, tell us about yourself, your background, and what you're passionate about. Oh, well, I'm um, technically trained as an environmental and civil engineer, but really have pretty deep sort of sustainability and environmental roots in my um, childhood and adolescence. I've always been like a hardcore greenie all the way. But then after you know working in green buildings on like Green Star certifications, I want to do something, one, that was more creative because sustainability, especially back then, we're talking 20 years ago, was really dry and dull and boring. And I was sort of half engineer, half artist and wanted to do something really um, really fun with that. So I started the media company called Green Pages in Australia. But then everything started moving into technology, you know, like everything was going Silicon Valley startup style, you know, with apps and data. And it just kind of became this natural nexus to like, well, let's look at the environmental data. Can we get a feedback loop about the data? you know, carbon emissions from buildings like gas, 
forests, trees, rainfall, soil, like all of the data that we need, which is kind of like what your podcast is about and your work is about, right? Smart cities, getting this environmental data. And then there comes the creative part where it's like, well, how do you display this data to people in a way that's going to get them to do what you want? And that kind of interfaces with part of its art and design, but part of its pretty serious behavioral science of how you get that data to work. And that's really been my fascination for the last 10 years is putting this data together with this social science of these interfaces to try to figure out how we actually how we actually get people to do the environmental stuff we want them to do. That's what I do now in various incarnations. Yes, I love it. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you just released your book back when we were doing that episode. Yeah, not too far. I, yeah, about 20, sort of the end of 2019 and 2020 was when I, yeah, released the book. Yeah, because um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful book. I'm remembering now, and I uh, intentionally so, because um, I remember talking about when we talked about that as well. But anyway, we'll put the link to the last episode in the show notes so people can find that as well. But we'll go broad and then we'll talk about what you've been up to since then. So what is a smart community to you? I'm really obsessed with feedback loops of data and getting more and more obsessed with them as I go. So when I think of well, smart cities or smart communities, I think about it in the technology sense that things have sensors on them and we're getting data. And this is really exciting because everything evolves. And when I'm in the word evolves, I mean like right back to the first amoebas in the primordial soup through a feedback loop. Every single organism, everything we do is a response to a feedback loop. In psychology, it's called stimulus and response. You know, you get something, something hot comes, you pull your hand away from it. You have an opportunity for food, you move towards it. We are these engines of stimulus and response to the feedback loops around us. This is the primary driver of all life and human behavior right at the bottom, like right down to the molecules of how we work. Now, look at where we're at with sustainability today. Where are our feedback loops for our environmental impact? For a smart city, Where's the CO2 meter for how much CO2 I'm putting out? Where's the water meter showing me how much water I'm using? What about our whole city, our community? Do we have a score like per suburb or per block? And once I realized that we were missing these feedback loops, I was like, like, oh my God, like I have to do this. Like there is no other reality for my life than to work on how to create these feedback loops and use them to motivate people what they're meant to be used for, which is to you know stimulate this evolution and this behavioral um, response. So when you say smart city. I'm like, where are the feedback loops? I want to see the feedback loops everywhere and have them nested. So you have like a house has its own feedback loop for its own environmental impact, but then you want one for the block. What are we all together? So we can see how we compare next to everybody else. But then what about the neighborhood? What about the suburb? And what about the city? And unfortunately, we are missing most of this environmental data. Like, it's sort of collected, but it's not that good. It's not that real time. It's not that geographically accurate. Um, and that's what I'd really like to see flower in, I think, like what the vision of what a smart a smart city or a smart community is. Mm, yeah, I think that feedback loop is so important and, and completely underrated, as you said as well, um, at the moment. I think we're humans at the end of the day. So we, yeah, like you said, we've got those triggers and responses and and to be able to, you know, you can't just be told, oh, well, you need to do this, that and the other. But even um, I think we were talking about this last time, just how we talk to people and how we kind of um, bring together that information is really important. But then people don't necessarily know what the action is. 
like, okay, if I want to reduce my emissions, is it better? Like, obviously, we, we live in a modern world. We're doing certain things. We've got to, you know, I don't know, drop the kids at school. We've got to eat. We've got to do these things. What is the best way that I could spend my time to reduce my impact? But also the different companies that I buy from, what are they doing to, you know, those? So there's like this kind of trace and you have to kind of do all that stuff yourself if you care about this enough to actually, you know, try and reduce your emissions or, or whatever the case is and depending on your circumstances, et cetera, et cetera. But thinking about that, having that feedback loop and having that information, you can, you can then make better decisions with that. So you might choose to, you know, do this over that or, you know, ride your bike instead of, I mean, that's a fairly obvious one, but, you know, thinking about over your lifetime or your, how you're living and where you're living and, and, and how you're interacting with different, um, different things, what would be the best for you as an individual. But then, like you said, we're not just an individual, we're a neighborhood, you know, we're our immediate neighbors, we're a neighborhood, we're a street, we're a suburb, we're a community as well. And how do we then, I guess, band together to, to solve some of these issues? Yeah, well, when you have the data and you have the feedback loop, you should be able to tell which behaviours and which actions are going to have the most impact. And one of the things that people ask me all the time, I would say it accounts for maybe 50% of all questions anyone ever asked me, which is why should we do individual action when we should be looking at like sort of systems change? And there's no easy, immediate kind of like put it in a box answer to that question. Apart from the obvious thing was that we need uh, both in different circumstances But imagine if you've got a feedback loop for your entire city or your entire community and you've also got it down by suburb and by block and by house, you will be able to see these interactions between your individual actions and between the system as a whole and you'll be able to see where individual actions really do matter. And some situations they really do. Like if you want to grow your own vegetables, like there's no way to get the government to do that for you. That's something that you have to do. And then there are other things that we don't really have any power over at all. Like if the government is to build, you know, a freeway next door and a big oil pipeline, that's totally like sort of in the the government system side of things. So being able to see these feedback loops of us as a community and us individually, we can start to see how our individual actions fit into the system and those kind of pressure points of which things uh, really can only be done through a government systems lens. Lens probably isn't the best word, but process. And then which ones we really do need people individually to collectively do. And as there are hundreds, thousands of different things that need to be done, uh, they're all in different places over that spectrum of whether they're to be done by the government or by the systems or by the individuals or, you know, most of the time it's really like a bit of both coming from both ends. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And and I guess, yeah, like you said, it's having that information available, having those feedback loops and then learning along the way as well from all of that. That's where you get, you know, your data and your insights and then you can, yeah, I guess really elicit that impact or, you know, make that impact the most significant it can be in a positive way, hopefully. Yeah. Ah, cool. Now, as we were saying, you're, um, you know, we were on the podcast. Well, the episode was released in June 2021, very different time back then. Tell us what you've been up to since then. That's a huge question. But tell us what you've been up to since then and, and where you're kind of heading. Well, uh, I've been taking a, a deeper dive into the the evidence in the behavioral sciences of what, you know, really gets this to all work. And particularly working on this gamification of neighborhood groups that I've been really interested in and started to teach people and train people. I have a group called Gamify the Planet where I teach people this process. So one thing that 
really started to become apparent to me through interviewing the uh, environmental psychologist I interview in my podcast was how much human conversation mattered. So we were just talking about feedback loops before. So feedback loops of data matter because we need to see our impact and the more real time that feedback loop is, the better. But what also really matters is just humans talking to each other. You know, we make this error. It's a, like it's sort of like an incorrect hypothesis that I think every single person who works in sustainability makes. We all make it, which is that just facts and education and knowledge and documentaries is all we need. Like if we just know all the stuff and we all have like a PhD in climate change, then we'll do stuff. And this is really like an error because that is really not what drives people. It's kind of an ingredient of what drives people, but it's not like the whole cake. But one thing that really does drive actual action, not knowledge, because what we want is action, not just knowledge. We don't want all these people that know everything about environment and climate, but do nothing. What we want is the action. What does stimulate the action is just conversations and just watching people. Like if you watch somebody, you know, putting something in one bin or you watch somebody, whatever they're doing, like you will, you can't help but to start to imitate them. You'll start to want to fit into what is like the social norm. And so people just talking to each other is so powerful. And especially when people get into groups because people create like a group identity. So if you're in a group and you're getting a group identity, people start to bond with this group identity. And then if you give that group like a goal, you know, they'll want to like, um, everybody wants to like do well by the group. So this is just this natural behavioral mechanism that we have. And it's been shown through a whole bunch of research that getting what they call like block leader programs, like somebody on their block of their neighbor gets their group of neighbors together. And then they all come with a goal, like a tribe with a goal, rather than seeing people as just these individual entities that uh, you can only motivate them through money or through if they know how many parts per million are in the atmosphere, really motivating people through the social bond. And so I've been researching and designing up like how you can best create those type of groups and how you can give people then the, the gamification and the feedback loop kind of tools to get them to become more active. Like, for example, you know, can you get their data of their carbon emissions per home and put them on a leaderboard? Can you give people like yard signs, like a badge? Like when you go fully electric in your home, you get like a yard badge that you can put out the front, you know, like a prize. You know, can you get people to give challenges and commitments and sort of track them towards a goal? And can you get people to use like commitment psychology, like all committing to do a particular action? Like, for example, everybody to install EV chargers, you know, like all at once, you know, as as a group. And yeah, trying to train people, practice that, pilot that kind of that kind of process to to try to make it work. Yeah, cool. And and I think it's like as we know, there's so many different things that we could do, but thinking bring it back to the human element, right? Like as humans, what what do we and I guess I mean you can apply it to many different things, but applying it to, you know, the sustainability lens. It's like, yeah, we wanna you know, we form communities, we form groups, you know, have we have shared values on certain things. Um so it's actually like aligning those to what we're trying to achieve for the planet as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, people naturally want to come together with their communities. Like, it's really quite striking how much people really crave and really need to be connected with a group. Like, imagine if you were in your group and you found out, oh, there's going to be like an ice cream party or a barbecue or a block party like next weekend, like you'd probably want to go unless you perhaps really, really hated where you lived or something like or you hated everybody. But most people would want to would want to go and get to know their neighbours. That's this like sort of natural thing that we have. And even if you don't really make it about environment or climate change, 
because that's more of like a perhaps like a niche interest. If you make it just about building better communities, building safe communities, safety is something that comes up that's really big for a lot of people. It could be other things as well. Everybody has different interests and you can just bring people together as a community. Then you can sort of insert whatever topics that you want. So you don't need to go out with a climate change agenda. And, you know, your podcast about like smart cities or smart communities isn't necessarily like just sustainability. My world is a bit more a bit more niche than that. But if you can just get the people together and then you're like, oh, yeah, like this month we're looking at plant-based or this month we're looking at planting, you know, more native trees or like water scarcity, the the group would have already created this bond and then you'll be able to bring in whatever kind of topics that you want. And by that way, you could get your climate or sustainability message out to a lot more people that may initially say no if you go in with something that's, you know, they would see a little bit outside of their sphere. Yeah, or I don't know enough about that or I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure what to do and I don't want to seem silly in front of my peers or whatever. Like, But then if you're kind of bringing that together as, you know, a bonding thing and something easy, but then you just have more and more conversation about it. And I think um, once you get people to, you know, that kind of social fabric, you build that social fabric, then, um, yeah, those different topics can come in. And maybe sometimes it's um, someone else is sharing a skill that they have, like um, playing the veggie garden or whatever. So it's not necessarily like, oh, we are saving the planet, come join us. It's, oh, we've got these skills um, within our community that we want to share that, you know, bonus, you have your own vegetables and it's better for the planet overall as well. Yeah, yeah. Like say, imagine, look, one thing I noticed with some of these groups is that, a lot of people are really interested in like disaster response safety, which is a little bit unusual for Australia because we don't really have natural disasters much except for the fires. You know, I was going to say I'm getting like bitten by a funnel web that everyone in America is always like, you're going to get bitten by a spider. And you're like, it doesn't actually happen very often. I've never met anyone who's been bitten by a funnel web. But anyway, that um, people here are very, because we have earthquakes. And the idea of, I think, just also being in the Northern Hemisphere, where you're a little bit closer to war and stuff, this idea that you need to have emergency preparedness. And so a lot of people will join these groups. They're not interested in climate change at all, and they're joining for emergency preparedness. But then they get to the climate change stuff, and then they start doing climate stuff. Like, imagine if you went out, you know, organizing like a vegetarian group, you know, like a lot of people would say, no, they're not interested in being vegetarian. But if you had like a whole community group, you can then, you know, have a plant-based day and, you know, they'll come. So in this kind of work that you've been doing and, you know, deep dive into, I guess, the behaviours and building that social fabric, what are some of the things that have surprised you? Like, you know, there's obviously there'll be some like kind of obvious things that we knew. What are some of the things that surprised you in doing this research? Just how much it comes up that conversations between neighbours are the most powerful way to drive change. So I was coming through all my work through a feedback loop perspective. Like if you can just see the data, like that would be enough, right? And so that's like a big part of it. Like feedback loops do work. But what is even more powerful is just getting people to talk to each other. Like that's it. That is, And that is how actually all change spreads. Like if you think about spreading like music or fashion or cultural norms or what's considered appropriate or what we think is weird and what we think is not weird. These are all things that get spread through conversations between people. I mean, even what we're posting on social media is a kind of like a conversation between you and all the people that follow you, right? So this is just so powerful 
Uh, and every single uh, academic researcher that I interview says this, and I'm not cherry picking for studies at all. Like I'm not looking for these ones, but I'm like, it seems to be what comes out at the bottom of the conclusion of every single interview, every single bit of research. And what also surprises me also in like the sort of the not as positive way is like how blind we are to it as environmental change designers. Like we have totally not gotten the memo that designing systems and tools to help people have conversations with their neighbours is what we need to be doing. So people want to make like fancy video games. They come to me to consulting like, okay, can you give me some advice on how to make a game? And I'm trying to raise $5 million to do it. And we're going to do this documentary. And then we're going to have this conference. All of these crazy, big, fantastic ideas or we're just going to figure out how to make you know something illegal or make it make it cheaper, which is, is necessary. But nobody is talking about how do I you get one person to speak to five people. Like, for example, you could give people like a little um, tree, right, a tiny little tree. And your job is to give the tree out to your neighbor. Maybe you get three little trees, little plant. And then, you know, when you take a photo of you and your neighbor as a selfie, you, you get like, I don't know, up to the next level. Maybe you get more trees or you get a free thing or some kind of incentive. I mean, that's just one way. I just started designing up like climate origami. Like it was a bit of origami that you would play with your friend. And every time you folded it, it had like a quiz, like a trivia of like a climate trivia thing, you know, trying to encourage these conversations. Any kind of game thing, you know, the city could send out, I don't know, like climate party packs. Like here's a, you get like a $100 sort of pack of, you know, food or cool stuff for your climate party or whatever. But, and I mean, I'm just riffing off the top of my head, like, why are we not really seriously thinking about the design as a designer, like how you get people to talk to others? Like that should be a whole field of design and it doesn't exist yet as a field. Like it's not a field and it's probably the most important field that we need to be thinking about. And so like that's just like a big like Easter egg that has to be like hatched open in people to start thinking about this, you know, this way of like creating change. Mm, yeah, yeah, climate, yeah, conversations and then, but yeah, gamifying that in a certain way. And I mean, again, it doesn't have to be super, yeah, like you said, super big and fancy or whatever. It's just like these small little changes. And you're right, like, you know, you see the things that are, you know, trending on social media and, and you know, some of them, you know, go up and down, you know, you, you don't hear about it ever again or whatever, but others actually filter throughout our communities and, you know, I, I guess from a, like, Western context, yeah, it's like what's normal, what's not normal, what we think, how we do things, etc. That all kind of filters through, and obviously, you know, with social media, then the message just probably spreads a bit quicker. But before social media, the same thing happened. You know, you talk to people in your community, and you'd be like, oh, well, this is happening, you know, or whatever. These are the things that I'm doing. These are the things that we're doing together, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So building that, and yeah, using those channels or those mechanisms to really filter in some of these you know, climate messages and, and action. Like you said, action, I think, is the key there because we can know, but if, we, if there's no action happening, then we're kind of still at square one, right? Yeah, like, I mean, you look at these big international conferences, climate conferences that happen, COP26, COP27 and, and all of the others, and all of these people fly from all over the world to go to this big conference and they're all these experts and then they all talk. Then they all come back and complain about the conference, saying that nothing really happened. And it's like after a few years of seeing this happen every year, I'd be like, hmm, so do people really honestly think that by catching a plane to the other side of the world and talking to a whole bunch of people in a conference that all this change is going to happen? Like that is like not the recipe for creating like the change. 
you should be getting groups of people in your own community together. Like have it in your own town, in your own neighborhood, go door knocking, like host a, a party, like host a barbecue, like a pool party, whatever. And like do it that way, like on the ground and actually help mentor people to create the action. That's the thing is that people create these events and meetups and conferences and seminars and all of these content themed events, but they're not action themed events. Like if you go to an air pollution seminar, you know, for two hours, one evening, you're not all sitting there with a group of people planning your action. You're there just learning from an expert. And so that's the kind of the nature of the way we do these gatherings. And the the gatherings need to be redesigned to center around an action. Like at the end of this gathering, who's going to put their hand up and do the thing? And it's all got to be about that. And these types of gatherings are kind of absent. Like we don't really see much about like a, let's say an EV charger install gathering. Like that's the whole idea that we get out at the end. It's like more like a social thing. Like, well, let's get together and just talk about what we're interested in. And that's cool. Like, it's great that people come together and talk, but you ultimately want to get people to the action. And yeah, we don't always just have that that one sort of <laughs> basic thing at the center of, you know, how we're gathering groups together. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Like I often talk, it's kind of like a stage thing, but it's like you want to, like I often talk about like awareness leads to focus, which then leads to action. But if you don't get to the action part, then, you know, you've created some great awareness and and potentially some focus, but without that action, nothing happens. And so, you know, starting conversations is, is you know, the first part of it, but then it's just like, well, when we're getting together, yeah, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, I think the action is that it is obviously the hardest part, but, you know, I think we action things in our lives that we want to do. So it's just about like creating that you know, all the time we're actioning, oh, well, I'm hungry, so I'm going to make some food or whatever. So it's just like, okay, well, what is the, that trigger point and, you know, is it that social fabric that you want to, you know, connect with your community and then you're going to action things together. So I think, yeah, it's it's an interesting one and interesting to see. And I like that idea of having, you know, uh, having the kind of the climate conferences as a smaller kind of decentralised thing because the amount of conversations that you'd be able to start because people think about you know cop 27 or whatever and go oh that's that's great they they're sorting stuff out they're going to solve our problems that's great or they don't even know about it because they don't really get it but if you could start to have those little conversations within that barbecue or pool party or whatever the case is you really spread the message and i think that's that's a really key and you know you can still have the conference if that's what we need to do but um having those smaller ones i think is really really important too um, an interesting kind of, you know, way to filter out that, that information and to the community and one, like for the podcast itself, like the smart city conversation was only ha- being had between, you know, other kind of smart city professionals, which is why I want to start the podcast and, and also connect with the community, which changing it to the community helped me do that. But it's like, again, it's just the conversation starter. Then it's like the action that needs to lead from after that as well. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happens is if you're just a whole bunch of experts getting together with other experts, you know, which is nice that you get to know your own community and you want that. But, you know, that you then need to figure out if you actually want to move from just experts talking to each other about what they're interested in and you actually want to move into the action space. You need to really start thinking like a behavior designer of how are you going to outreach and recruit other people locally to you and get them into your group and then empower them to go and reach out to, to other people. I just joined this, um, there's this self-help program called Landmark, which some people might have heard of. It's got a bit of like a mixed, sort of a bit of a bad reputation. But anyway, I did it. They have this intensive weekend thing and they are so heavy on the outreach. 
it's kind of annoying. But it was also kind of interesting to observe about the just like intense focus of like, have you emailed three people you know? Like, have you gone and brought other people in? And then they have like another session just for you to bring other people in. It's like so heavy on really pushing every single person to go out and find like five other people they know and then sort of bring them into the the pitch to do this transformation weekend. And I thought of all of 20 years of doing sustainability stuff, has anybody ever really, really pitched? Go out and find three people you know, go through your phone, you go through your aunts, your uncles, cousins, friends, and bring them in. No, we don't do that. It's not our style of sustainability people to be constantly trying to bring people in. But if we really want to spread change faster, we have to be okay with actually kind of like recruiting our social networks, you know, into these actions and being okay with being like, hey, you know, what do you think about, you know, solar, eating less meat, EV charger, you know, all the things, like just being okay bringing this up and having some kind of like, like almost like a funnel, like a marketing funnel to kind of bring them into to help, you know, encourage them in, in the right direction. Mm. So I'm just looking at the time. Um, great conversation. Um, I'm, I think we could just continue for a couple of hours, but I, I won't do that to you. So let's go to the future now and what are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that the more I study this feedback loop-centric way of understanding environmental impact, it reflects the dopamine system in the brain that we come up with goals and then our brain really has a tracker. Like if you're moving towards a cup of coffee, your brain is tracking how far you are away from that cup of coffee and that you will grasp the cup with your hand and then it will signal to you that you have completed the goal and give you a sense of reward. Like that's a very simple way. But if you're doing a PhD, you've got the same thing going. If you're running a marathon, you've got the same thing going. You have a goal and you have a system of tracking how far away you are from the goal and maintaining your motivation while it's getting really difficult and while you want to stop and getting you all the way to that goal. This is how our brains uh, work. And so while we are not having, we have an absence of these feedback loops, of these real-time feedback loops showing us our impact, we can't create these basic goal tracking progress towards a goal systems in sustainability. And I personally think this is like the skeleton, the spine that is missing from our movement that we just, we just don't have them really built out. And so we're failing to really tap into this goal-directed motivational system in the human mind. That's kind of like missing in our awareness from what I see. And that sort of really, really has to happen. So is it really an emerging trend? I don't think it is. I think it needs to be an emerging trend. And my mission is to try to make it actually sort of come into fruition so we can kind of like sprinkle. It's sort of like like um like an enhancer. I was going to say sprinkling cocaine, but maybe an illegal drug isn't the best metaphor to use. Salt, sugar, you know, like something kind of almost like addictive. So people see the needle and they're like, oh my god, I must, I must make that data reach that goal. And then that's really it's stimulating that dopamine reward system. That's like I must, you know, I I must like I keep saying install the EV charger. I should come up with something more creative but I must like plant the tree. I must like put the solar in, you know, like, a, and um, must, you know, change to a heat pump, hot water heater, because, you know, you you just crave to have that goal uh, completed. The same way, you know, you often crave to finish a to-do list. We're trying to like activate that system in the brain, which can't really be activated necessarily through learning more about climate, climate science. They're like different mechanisms in the brain. Yeah. So that's what I would like to see as a, um, 
perhaps not an emerging trend, but to become an emerging trend that everybody's doing. Mm. No, I, I like that. And yeah, I mean, often I often think about even when you're you work for yourself or whatever, you have to create your own goals. You don't necessarily have like, you know, your performance review of like, oh, yes, and then I'm going to do this, this, or this. You have to do that yourself. And I, I know when I don't have that, you know, kind of goal that I'm reaching to, sometimes I feel like lost or whatever. And it, and it is because, you know, I don't have that kind of like, oh, the step-by-step, I, you know, definitely have my cup of coffee goal in the morning. But, um, yeah, having those big ones. So then I know once I you know, if I apply for an award or if I do a thing or if I'm like, oh, I want to, you know, I don't know, do the masters or whatever, then at the end, you know, you kind of get that dopamine hit as well. So kind of reminded me of that as you were talking there. So I think that's a really interesting one. Maybe not cocaine, but you know. But oh my God, I just had this like, just this lightning bolt hit me as you were talking that, you know, how there's, you know, how you said, like, if you don't have a goal, you sort of feel lost and overwhelmed. And just as soon as you said that, oh my God, I thought, oh my God, is that not the entire youth climate movement? Like everything they're saying is it, we're, it's too much. We're so lost. We're so overwhelmed. We don't know where to start. Maybe if they all have proper feedback loops of data with proper reward mechanisms, then young people, instead of it just being like this big overwhelming sort of massive problems, they can be like, okay, cool. Well, we've got our block. There's a CO2. We need to do A, B, C, or D to get there. And then you track progress towards the goal and you're like, bingo, we did it. We got half the carbon out of our out of our communities. Of course, it's overwhelming if you don't have a sense of the data and, and the goal. Absolutely. Where to next for smart cities and communities? I just want to keep, you know, door knocking, going door to door, trying to get to understand people not so much through the academic evidence, but also just through real life conversations with real humans and and testing this out and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And just continue to sort of try out, you know, getting groups of people together in communities, trying all the gamification techniques on people because they really work and it's super fun to when you get the chance to give somebody an award or like a smiley face or use a leaderboard and then you you see like the the motivation spike, like it's really visceral. And so on the chances I get to actually implement it that's really fun and just yeah to continue rolling out see if we can get groups of communities together to create that you know social momentum and you know really see the change happen on the ground i love that i think that's a perfect way to finish off this conversation thanks so much katie for coming onto the podcast again really appreciate your time and um, always enjoy talking to you and following along the socials and what you're up to so yeah thanks again for joining me on the podcast no, thank you. It's always fun to talk about this stuff with another uh, intelligent, fun woman. Oh, thank you. Uh, one last question. How can people connect with you? Uh, I'm on all the social media. You can find me on Twitter, Katie Patrick. I also post little environmental psychology design nuggets on Instagram. Uh, the handle is Katie Patrick Hello. I'm also on LinkedIn, my website, katiepatrick.com. So, and the book, you know, is also on Amazon. So, you know, have a look around, get in touch with me if you're interested in behavioral science action design for climate. Love it. Love it. We'll put all the links in the show notes. Yes, I always enjoy having these conversations with you. So we'll have another one again at some point. So thanks again for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, awesome. My first podcast I've been on twice. So that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I feel popular. <laughs> Well, you were actually also part, we re-released your all, uh, your other episode as well um, on the summer series or the Australian summer series as well. So that's why, yeah, really excited to have you back on to share more of those nuggets, um, those beautiful environmental nuggets. So thank you again for coming on. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Talk soon. Bye. 
Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're looking for support in podcast strategy and production, workshop design and facilitation, or communication and media advisory, get in touch. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Community Podcast is what you're looking for.